You have to give before you get. Many times I've talked with people, it's like, well, what do I get out of this? You don't get anything till you give. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tech Leaders Playbook. Today, I have a very, very special guest, a much-awaited episode with my uh, lovely business partner, Jeffrey Jerome Mitchell. Jeff, welcome aboard, man. Excited to be here and be one of your guests over the last few months. You've had some amazing guests. I'm excited to be one of them. Absolutely, Jeff. You're going to be one of the special ones. Um, by the way, the name Jerome was made up. I made up that name, so Jeff's uh, middle name is not Jerome. Uh, but thank you for letting me rename you years ago, Jeff. It was one of my favorite things about you, your sense of humor and your uh, humility and your no-ego uh, kind of lifestyle. Especially when we did an interview of, of a person at work here and we had the name Jerome in the little box on the interview. And, uh, and he <laughs> actually said, so tell me, Jerome, why do you like working for HireCloud? And everybody else had an inside chuckle because it's not really my name and he didn't know that. That was literally my favorite interview of all time. Uh, Jeff, the, the interesting kind of segue. I talked about one of my favorite things about you and why we've been able to kind of get through so many recessions, which we'll also discuss. Um, tell me about like what you have no ego kind of approach to life and you like to laugh a lot. You just, you seem to uh, kind of go with the flow and, and, and uh, are rarely stressed out. Tell me a little bit about your approach to life, first of all, which is more important than anything. Well, you know, as I've gotten older uh, and I'll be 65 in, uh, in June, Good Lord. It, it's not it's not worth it's not worth the stress or the battle. So things that I years ago might have uh, owned and held on to and be frustrated with and fought, I just kinda let go. And it goes with my with Stacy, my wife. If there's any issues or arguments, I won't allow it. I just won't get into it with her. I'll go, no problem. Like I'll do it and that's it. There's no conflict. Where in the past I might have stood my ground on an issue or been prideful. You've given in, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. I've given in, <laughs> given in, and given up. Uh, but but when you when you let things go like that, as you're getting older, you have more perspective. It it makes for a healthier life because you're not letting anything b bring you down. No, that's really great, Jeff. Um, tell me a little bit about about your your journey up to this point. You've been doing recruiting for 40 years, which is 41 years, I believe, which is exactly how old I am. So. How did you get into the business? How does that even happen? Because I, I, I rarely have ever seen anyone go from college to recruiting as if it was a career path or career goal. Well, well, in 1982, I was out of work. I had just been laid off as an accountant. My very best friend was uh, an engineer. He decided to come to California. I was out of work. I said, hey, do you need a carpool buddy to drive with you? And he said, that sounds great. I came out. I interviewed for accounting jobs with a recruiting firm, and I was junior, only a year experience out of college, so I couldn't find any. But what they did say was they liked my attitude. I would call them in every day. Have you found me a job yet? And they liked my persistence. They said, do you want to try recruiting? And I said, sure, I don't know what it is. But And I interviewed and met all the way up to the president uh, and uh, got hired and started in, uh, I see, I interviewed with them in December of 82, and I started January 26th. 1983. Jeff, um, it, was this an accounting and, and finance recruiting firm? They, they did both. They did accounting and finance. They did, they did programming. And they had one other, it might have been construction or something else, but they interviewed me for accounting and finance to place me. And when they couldn't place me, they saw something in, in me and they said, you want to try this? And I said, sure. 
And then I got hired and uh, went back east, bought a new car, drove out with my dad. Uh, and the rest is history. I've been here since January of 1983. Mazda 3 stick shift? No, no. At that time, it was a, uh, it was a Honda Civic FE 5-speed. Oh, nice. A little hatchback? Yes. I actually remember those. Nice. Little hatchback, good, great fuel economy for driving across the country. Uh, so that was a big adventure, coming here with my dad. Literally, uh, we made it in here in four days. Tell me about that accounting job, the first accounting job you actually had. What happened? Why did, why did that end? Well, I, I got a job out of college uh, as an accountant for like a, a very large multinational organization. And frankly, the stuff I was doing was over my head at the time. Uh, I was doing journal entries for multi-billion dollar entries uh, of of four different, four or five different um, divisions of that company. And and it was just, I I was making mistakes. I wasn't getting it. It was just, it was really hugely, uh, I was underqualified for what that was at the time. Because, you know, coming out of college, you learn it book smart, and then you're thrown into an accounting role that literally is managing billions of dollars. Uh, not managing the money, but but accounting for it. And after about a year, oh, I don't know, a year and a couple of months, they just said, "Hey, we don't see you. We don't see this position being a fit for you, and and we're going to need to let you go." And I said, "Okay." And they gave me some severance. And uh, let's see, that was Friday the thirteenth, wow, nineteen eighty-two. And then in the Thanksgiving of that year is when I came out with my friend Glenn. So a few months later. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. Amazing. You've uh, you've been in recruiting for forty years. I'm I'm guessing all of it is in IT. Not guessing. I think I know that. It is knowing yep. you for sixteen years. Nice. Yeah. Yep. What what was the what was the toughest years? I'm guessing Oof. you've seen quite a few recessions in forty years. Well, I mean, the toughest years for me were when I started because it was 1983. The economy wasn't booming. Not only wasn't the economy booming, is that I didn't know what I was doing in recruiting. So, and back then, you were given a a list of file cards like this thick, and alphabetized, and you had to go through and call those those cards, and call everybody on them. And back then, they didn't want to they didn't want to pay recruiters. What's a call? Oh, what's a call? Oh, I don't think people are doing that anymore. No, they're not. But that's all we did is cold call. And literally, it'd be, hey, uh, I've got a candidate with this background. And the, res- the response would be, uh, no agencies, we don't pay fees, uh, buy, click. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of no fees. That was a, lot, a big answer back then. Sorry, no fees, no fees, no fees. And you just had to make hundreds and hundreds of calls to get a yes. And I knocked on a lot of doors, got hundreds hundreds of no's, but when things started picking up, I was really good at it because at that point, I learned to overcome objections. I learned to navigate through difficult situations where I would, let's say I talked to a person within a couple weeks of me starting, then I would cycle back to the letter A in three months with the file cards, right? And then I'd call the same person and have a better call. So. That was that was a very tough few years, eighty three and eighty four, just because things were economy wasn't doing great, and then it started picking up. You know, you know what I've noticed, Chef, over the last sixteen years I've been in the business, and through your stories, is anytime someone's grown up in a recession, 
they typically end up doing really well long term. Uh, I've noticed the folks that came in in the softest of markets typically fail pretty pretty quickly after the market turns. I've noticed that quite a few times. I mean, you started in 83, 82, 83, you said tough years, or 83, 84. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was, I mean, I came in at the tail end of 2007 with, you know, the Mitchell Group, which was the company you founded, uh, and immediately the lights were turned off. And 2008 9 was treacherous, very, very challenging, right? Uh, extremely yes. difficult. And I mean, we just had to uh, my, my old saying, let's just survive uh, to, to thrive, right? Which it, it, easier said than done. I mean, we struggled. But once the, the market picked up, it felt like it was cake. That's true. It felt like it was, it was almost like, seriously, is this easy? Versus what you and I have seen, unfortunately, with really, you know, good people that have come in at the very soft market and they kind of do an okay job as soon as the market turns. It's, it's very challenging, disheartening and impossible for them to, to be good, you know? Well, they never, they never learn to do it in a struggle. So when we did it, when I tell you, literally, I would make hundreds of cold calls and get hung up on. When you can do that and, and be able to be resilient and step, you know, pop up from that, when things are easier, it's like, whoa. It's like taking off the training wheels of a bicycle. I could, you know, it's amazing. Jeff, I know you and I are a little bit removed from that, but I have, a, I have a challenge for you. Since we're in a recession now, can you make hundreds of phone calls a day now? No, the problem is nobody answers their phone. <laughs> so uh, we, back then, the calls we would make were to people that were at their offices and they all had desk phones. So their desk phone would ring and they would say, hello, right? You get a switchboard maybe. Now, people have cell phones. You might not get their number. If you call it, they don't know you. They'll hang up or they'll block you. Or they don't answer. It goes to voicemail. They don't call back. So calling is, is, is not a great way for first contact, but it's a great way after first contact to build relationships. Nice. Jeff, when you started in 83, what, what type of uh, roles were you filling? Tell me about some of the cutting-edge, bleeding-edge technologies back then. Well, well back then, <laughs> IBM had their mainframe and they they had a series of mainframes that had been coming that had come out actually in the early 70s so in the 80s they were big they had big upgrades on their machines larger more capacity they had like an IBM 3083 was one of their models and we were placing people with COBOL programming skills which back then was common business oriented language and it was batch programming meaning that you had to put information in wait for it to get computed and then you get information out like a batch in and a batch out and then got what got hot was IBM developed a database called DL1 and DB2 later on which was relational online CICS so we we're placing people within companies like any type of company as a programmer analyst working on in-house business applications that's what we did. And nice. so uh, we worked with banks, we worked with insurance companies, we worked with, and I worked with Paramount Movie Studios, Universal, but it was always placing programmer analysts. Uh, then I started placing DBAs as well, which, which was great. And then I also placed some managers and directors as time went on. How, how, about, to the, uh, how about the 90s? What was, what was cooking uh, early 90s, mid 90s? Well, let's see. Well, Mitchell Group started in 94. Let me think. Pegasus was 88 to 94. Um, those years we had a division within the Pegasus group that did AS400, which was an IBM mid-range machine that companies that were 
not let's say a furniture company might have an AS400 because they they weren't able to to buy a mainframe they were too small and PCs were not enough power so they IBM had a mid-range selection AS400s which are coded in RPG3 which you'll see, still see with some companies right now I think Lamps Plus might have some I hope old, not older systems but so that's what I saw in the early 90s then as time went on in the 90s they developed Sybase Power Builder uh, and, and um, Visual Basic. So prior to that, there was IBM mainframes, IBM mid-range, and everything was tied to IBM. There was another company called Digital Equipment Corporation called DEC. They had a machine called VAX. They had their own programming language and their own database. So the, the key for this entire growth for, for IT over the last 20 years has been the ability of companies to move off mainframes and go to client-server type settings because then they were not beholden to IBM. So Dell comes on the scene, develops their own servers. Power Builder was a front-end language. Sybase was a back-end language. They could choose that. They could choose Unix. They could choose Microsoft's operating system. There was a lot more choices. So things became... Before IBM, they owned, they owned the majority share. And, and the, the video we have actually in-house shows how IBM was tearing down their buildings because they weren't, they weren't selling much anymore. And, I, and Microsoft was building brand new campuses in uh, Redmond when that time was wow. happening. It's pretty crazy. How many recessions do you think you've seen approximately, Jeff? Let's see. Uh, We've seen three together at least. Probably between four and five. Certainly when I started was recessionary. Uh, probably later, um, maybe... 89-ish, 90, things were slow. Um, things got okay. Uh, the 90s from 94 to 99 and 2000 were really good, especially 2000. Uh, in 2001, the faucet turned off and business, our <laughs> business went down 80%. In 2000, we did 5 million in perm sales. In 2001, we did 1 million. Wow, that's it's a hell of a drop-off. And we won't even talk about the income drop-off you personally had. It's, it's pretty bananas. We don't need to go there. But uh, the, uh, that recession, uh, let's see, 2001, and then things started picking up again in about 2004, uh, and then went pretty strong until about 2008 when we hit that meltdown. 2008, 2009, then it started picking up again in 2010, mm -hmm. right? And then it was, it was strong for a few years. And there were blips. Quite a few years. Yeah, quite a few. There were blips along the way, but nothing really recessionary, right? Until until now, and prior to that, COVID kind of put the brakes on for a while. Nice, nice, Jeff. One of the um, one of the coolest stories I tell is that is, you know, when I came on board in two thousand seven, knew nothing about the business, and uh, my my uh, comment to you was, I'm happy to come on board, but are you gonna get out of the way to to let me rebuild this thing? And uh, that's a gutsy thing for someone to tell a successful business person who's built a business. And again, it's it's uh, kind of a, tells us a lot about your character and the lack of ego because you could have easily been an egomaniac and said, "Who the hell are you?" And then, of course, then I would not have built you know rebuilt yes. the Mitchell Group with you, and we wouldn't have scaled that yep. and become an owner, True. and then we wouldn't have started Higher Cloud together. So, I really applaud you for that because that's again that's an extremely rare gene in a person to to. To, to be that um, level-headed, I mean, your response was, yeah, that's exactly what I need. And 
Otherwise, there's no way I'm coming on board, right? I had, of course. Uh, you know, I had uh, bigger, more clean opportunities, less challenging, less crunchy. I looked at that as a, as a hot mess, and I meant that in the best ways. Like yeah. here you have a, a brilliant guy who's built a successful business. It's kind of in a funky place, right? Like I, I wasn't at that point in my career interested in something easy or something corporate, and I wanted to just – you know, just kind of mess some stuff up and experiment. And uh, I think within a very short time frame, we were looking to expand and bring on my Kaplan team. And then it yes. all just went to shit in early 2008. But we hung in there with our sense of humor. So, Well, the uh, one of the things that I think I said in the early interview process with you was I'm looking for a franchise player to build around. And because you're so into sports, I think that really hit a very positive nerve with you. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, and and it, look, it took a lot. Uh, ooh, it took a lot to go, to come out of that that recession and and actually start building the uh, rebuilding the Mitchell Group. It yeah. ended up being actually a pretty successful company before we we started HireCloud with a good old Jackie. Um, Jeff, what is if if you've got people listening, young people that want to get into the industry, what are, what are some advice you would have for a, a recruiter that's interested in in, in coming onto the industry? Okay, a couple things. Well, actually several. You have to give before you get. Many times I've talked with people, it's like, well, what do I get out of this? You don't get anything till you give. Things like if you're, um, if there's an event on a Saturday that you don't want to go to because you just don't want to go, it's your Saturday, you, you go. Because that could be the difference between you billing zero or a million dollars. Right, so many young people they want to know. Well, what what is this co company offering me? Uh, that doesn't work long term, right? You have you have to give before you can get. Uh, secondly, I think you have to have resilience and persistence, and be okay with getting knocked down and getting right back up again because the business will beat you up. But it's like a gauntlet. Once you get through it. There's an amount of respect at the end of the tunnel, but you don't get that respect in the beginning of the tunnel because nobody knows you. So you got to get through that. Uh, got to work really hard. Uh, it's not a nine-to-five job. If you, how dare you? If don't you ever want, say those words again? Well, I know you like to leave around four of us for the golf game, but uh, <laughs> if uh, if people come in and put in an eight-hour day, it works in a great market. They'll they'll be able to yep. be reasonably successful, but in a recessionary market. They will starve. Literally, we, we just had a person working for us that was here for a number of months um, and, and wasn't able to close deals. Jeff, a uh, question for you. Um, that is definitely challenging and it could be frustrating. A lot of times what I've noticed is when it gets tough, people actually do less, which is interesting, right? Because what the excuse is, and it's understandable, right? If you don't know better, is the, 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 the excuse is, well, there's not a lot to do. Because in a busy market, you could work 15 hours a day, it wouldn't be enough. But you kind of get by by just working really hard those eight, nine, 10 hours a day. In a tough market, people tend to do less, and they kind of almost like do less and less and less because there's not enough work, which we both know is the problem, right? Because it's opposite. You got to do more. What's your thoughts on that? And, and it's it, I almost want to say don't bother if that's the mindset. What are your thoughts on it? Well, they do less and less because they don't think what they're doing matters because it's such a tough economy. So why why do it? Why bother, right? The problem is that 
if that were the case for real business, like other businesses that thrive in recessionary times, they're looking to gain market share, beat out the competition, create something revolutionary. They're looking to do something special that other people are just kind of maybe throwing in the towel. So that mentality doesn't work. You have to create more. That doesn't mean you have to work more, but you have to create more. And typically work will come with that, but it's not about coming up. It's not about saying, I'm going to put in 12-hour days. It's not necessarily going to matter because you could be hitting your head against the wall for 12 hours and then be even more frustrated. It's about being creative, coming up with different solutions. Maybe in the past, you didn't meet people in person. You start going out and meeting people. Dinners, perhaps, taking them to a ball game, things that will work that you get too busy during a great economy that in a slower economy might give you a little bit of an edge. Absolutely. Jeff, I'm sure this is the case for you, but over the years, one of the reasons our clients have loved us and have stuck with us and allowed us basically to to survive recessions and even grow through recessions is because of our relationships with them. Uh, our, we care about them beyond the the, 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 the work, the money, the revenue. Yes. And we build those relationships. We continue to help them with nothing in return. And I think knowing that they, they want, they want to help us grow. They want to help us when in fact, some of those clients I'm thinking of, uh, will th I'll thank them offline, but it's because of their great references that just, we just won that huge ink, ink, uh, partner award, which yes. is very challenging. I think they called six of our CTO VP, uh, clients and put them through the ringer just to, to vet us out as, as a great partner. I mean, as stuff like that keeps me going because I know these people genuinely took time out of their day to, to recognize us for what we've done for them. Not one year, not anybody can do that, but long-term. Some of these people you and I have known for 15 to 30 years, you know? I had a client in the past, Transamerica, and during the recession years ago, the manager, we had a great relationship. He goes, hey, you just made a few placements. Send me the invoices like today. I'll get them paid upon start date. I want to, I want to help you out. I want to help you get through this recession. So literally, we placed somebody, I sent them an invoice, it would get paid within a week. And that was because we had a great relationship, and that, that, was, uh, that was a lot. Huge. Huge. And we've, um, you know, we've hired uh, recruiters that were experienced and, and actually pretty good at their job. But one of the things we noticed in tough, tough markets, they really struggled because they hadn't built relationships. And the funny thing is when they described what they considered a, a good relationship, it, it kind of made, I don't, you know, not in a condescending way, but it made me kind of laugh because when I started listing the things I've done for my clients with nothing to gain, their faces just they they got they had an aha moment like, oh that's a good relationship yeah that's a good relationship no. taking a call on a Saturday to help your client negotiate a severance package that has nothing to do with you is is a good relationship helping them negotiate a salary for a job you didn't place them at meeting them for dinner when they were down on their you know on their energy because they just found out that their company is closed whatever it was those are the things that people remember not the fact that you hired a handful of great engineers for them inviting a client to my house to pick up a ping pong table all right giving them a place to sleep didn't you give didn't someone sleep at your house or something no no that was with um johannes uh and they he needed to store his stuff because he was, he didn't have time to store it at LAX. He was flying back, and I said, just it was in Agora. I said, just store it at my house. And he brought his stuff over. He had a van, took it all out, stored it in a, in a garage, and basically, 
the joke was, hey, if you don't work with us, I have your stuff hostage. Oh, but, that's brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, it was great. He, he, he was very appreciative, and it didn't really cost me anything, and he, he loved it. I mean, I could call him right now and we'd have a good laugh about it. You, 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 and, and this is who you are. I, don't, I think you did that out of an, just literally just trying to help someone. You probably would do that for me, right? So uh, even though there's no parking for you, there's place for mattress. You know, my mattress is near you. Plenty of parking at, at, at my mansion for you. <laughs> so uh, where would the horses go? Where would the horses go? That's a good old joke. What were you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so guys, people give away Amazon gift cards as thank yous to client. Jeff gave a used ping pong table. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the character that he is. So it's always been enjoyable to watch you do things differently. It was, a, it was a really good table, though. Yeah, I bet. So he loved it. He played ping pong with his daughter for like two years every night. What a cool gift. What a yeah. cool gift. Do you have any leftover like uh, ping pong tables or like a pool table for, for, uh, for me? No, I have a chase lounge we're trying to get rid of on a garage sale. but uh, Pass. And some uh, some file cabinets. Uh, yeah, the, the the people you're talking about were very transactional. So they thought they had good relationships because they got returned text messages or because they could talk to somebody in a normal work day. They didn't have relationships and, and uh, they, they didn't understand. So someone who's transactional, when they, if they come to work here and, and we don't know it, they, they, they don't do well. Well, the, one of the things that you and I teach, uh, especially you, Jeff, is, is, is a lot of fun for me because it hit on a personal level is uh, this was like 2008, 2009, actually, I think it was. And um, I had been invited by a, a mentee of mine to a USC MBA event. And it was a thank you dinner that he had kind of like, you know, slowly, slowly had weaseled into a, a mentorship with me and a great guy. And he invites me to this dinner. And of course, when he invites me, it's a month out. You always yes. say, yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah, good a in a month. Out, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure, why not? Why wouldn't I do dinner at 7 p.m.? Well, the day comes and it's 5 o'clock and I'm like, I don't want to go. I have to leave work early. We're struggling. I have a, I have a one-year-old baby. I don't want to go to downtown L.A. I want to be with my wife and, and, and baby. You know, Sophia was, I think, like six months old or eight months old. I couldn't wait to go hang out with her. I'm like... This is nuts. So I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go. You're like, yeah, you should go. I'm like, ah, I'm not, I don't think I want to go. You're like, why not? It'll be fun. I'm like, look, I don't want to leave work early, drive in traffic an hour and a half to get to downtown to find parking, to have ch chicken and wine. I don't, I don't need that. You go, just go. You never know what comes of it. Literally. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. You pushed me, right? It, I did. It was just like, you should go. You kept poking at me. Well, I go to this event. And this guy, Philip, great guy, had uh, spoken very highly of me. And we had this great event. And there's like, there's like a line of people trying to talk to me. The guy had talked me up so much, you know. And he ended up actually winning second place on his big uh, USC project, I believe, if I, if I remember correctly. But most importantly, uh, the dinner was fine. But on my table was, was a, a gentleman that came up to me and started asking me questions. It was my friend, Ospin. So what ended up coming from that is it went from that to coffee to placing him to Lamps Plus. He had a great career there, became a product manager, then became a lead product manager. Then, then he you know, referred so many people to us and then he went somewhere else and then we placed them somewhere else. Yeah, and then he went to, and, and he always found ways to, to give back and to get us involved in the companies he went to. He always referred his friends who were great guys and, and, and vice versa. And then 
most importantly, forget all that. Who cares? Ospit and I are very good friends, as you know. Uh, Ospit actually has an office in our office, as you know, and uh, he's a partner company. He does, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully he's not watching. But um, now Ospit and I, you know, we do projects together. You know, he is our consulting arm when we do small SOW projects, hopefully yes. a very big one soon. But it's just that's such a small decision, right? At that moment, what would be the easy thing to do was to to leave at 5.30, 6 o'clock, go to my home, hang out, have dinner with my lovely wife, and hang out with my baby. That sounds so much easier. And unfortunately, 95% of people would have chosen the easy out. Yep. Because that took no effort. Finishing up the day, no effort. Driving home from Woodland Hills to wherever we lived, West Hills or whatever, five minutes, no effort. Hanging out with my, my family. What do I get out of it? What do I get out that, of it? What right? do I get? And for me, it was really, it wasn't even, what do I get? It was, this is a lot of work, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what do I, it's a lot of work for, for what, right? I'm going to go there. I don't need dinner. My wife cooks lovely meals every yeah. night. My baby's hilarious, but I'm, I'm really glad I went because again, with all this great business that came from it, I, who cares? I would have found it elsewhere, but the friendships that developed, not just from, you know, Osped, but just all the side uh, friendships. Now our wives are friends. Our kids are are very close friends. They go to the same school. Yep. You can't, you can't, you can't make this shit up, right? You can't write a movie about it. And I've got, you know, not quite at that level, but I've got 15, 20 other stories like that. And that's what my career has been built on. Um, you know, one relationship with this great guy, Carlos, who who taught me so much ended up becoming 20 different relationships with 20 different companies. I mean, this, this is the stuff that I think if I were to say anything, even though this is the, you know, I asked you for this is I would say, if you're not going to be willing to do the hard work, I would not recommend doing the business, right? Because yeah, at correct. the surface level, the business is too difficult to do it linearly and do it very um, kind of like tick for tack, right? Can't, you can't do it to just I, – you can't just say I want to do it to help people. Well, I've even seen people say I'll go to this event, but I'm going to come in late the next day as if they're clocking in and out. And I'm just like, sure, I don't care if you come in at 11. Just don't say that. You know, It's just such a weird thing. It's tick for tech. My eight hours, I clocked in, I clocked out, which we don't even have that system, right? But I don't, I don't believe in that, and I know you don't, and, and I learned a lot from you from that, Jeff, right? And people never understood that you know, because I was the – the high flying, crazy, young, up and coming guy with the big network and the vision. And they'd say, why do you work with Jeff? You guys are so different. I'm like, well, first of all, I learned a ton from Jeff. One, uh, two, he, he has such a fresh perspective that I'm not used to, right? I'm a hot blooded, crazy guy. You're calm, cool, collected. You know, I like, um, as somebody said, I have a I have a healthy ego. You have none, and it, it balances us out. You love doing accounting and finance, and and I don't know how to spell accounting and finance. Yeah, sure. Uh, you're. Uh, I think the situation with Osped on a on a financial level was really wonderful because it helped you jumpstart your career, and that wasn't you didn't know that would come from that. In terms of that, led to so many avenues of success financially, which was great. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny, even till this day, uh, even though my wife's seen an incredible, obviously, uh, life that we've built together, and, uh, you, you know, she'll even say, like, why do you go to this event in Pasadena? Like, what was in it for you almost? Is, is Was there, like, a linear opportunity that, you know, that you saw is how she's thinking? I'm like, honey, it doesn't work that way, right? Um, you know, our business doesn't work that way. We don't go to get, or at least I don't, and I know you don't. I go to give and, and sure, if, if things come along with it, wonderful. I'm happy to take it in. I always tell people that I try to help is listen, if I could do the business and I can win, that's great. I've got kids to feed, right? I got my boy Andranik, I got my girl Sophia, I got my wife Angela. So that, that stuff's important, but at the end of the day, I'm here to help and I'm here to have a good time, you know, and I think that's also kept you and I enjoying the business where yeah, most people ugh. burn out. Most people, I feel like burn out and they go the internal route because it's easier. If you're going to be linear, might as well do that route, right? Um, or they fail in the business because they're just not willing to do what it takes to be highly successful. And if you're not highly successful, it's just not worth it. Not We've talked it. about that. If you can't get to the, the whole 80-20 thing, if you can't get to the 20%, you got to run. It's just too difficult. You can make money outside of this that would equal your draw with less headache. Yep. Yep. Jeff, of all the great employees we've had, past and present, you and I have had been blessed with hiring some incredible people. Some are with us, some are not. What What's like, like three traits that you've noticed uh, of people, not necessarily recruiters, but you could talk about recruiting that's made them highly successful? I think one of the number one traits would be they were really great relationship builders, which goes without saying, but not everybody is. Uh, they were liked by people. They generally cared for people. They generally had a, an approach that they wanted to help or give before they got. So that relationship was, was number one. And I, I can, I, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, we had the woman up in Seattle who worked for us at, you know, in her last year, build out over 800,000. It was amazing. Yeah. So, and, and, and she had companies calling her uh, because they loved her so much. And she, she wasn't a salesperson. She was a business person. So I think relationships are hugely important. I think also you, you have to be able to be okay getting rejected. You have to be okay being okay being uncomfortable because you will get that. You'll get candidates and clients and situations that, that are a conflict. And if you're, if you get put down by everything like that, you won't have the stick to itiveness to do this. And some of the people I'm thinking of, they just were grinders. You know, they would come in, they would work, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but they just very consistent, like a good football team, win or lose. They just came in and, and, and did the right things. Uh, and I think lastly is you have to be busy enough you have to generate work, generate activity, generate create creativity so you're not a clock watcher. People to me that watch clocks are running out of stuff to do. If you're really good in this business, you will have so much to do. You almost find you can't leave just because you're, you've generated so much. I think I told you one of my recruiters years ago was at the office at 1130 at night. And I said, what do you, I called him because I saw the phone light on because we had the same tie into my house. What are you doing? He goes, oh, I have so many emails to go through. I can't go home. I said, all right, when you're finished, you know, don't worry about coming in. Come in whenever you want tomorrow morning. You're like, come in 10 minutes later tomorrow morning. I, that was my joke, but I didn't want to go there on, on your podcast. Pick up some bagels. But, but his, his approach to doing the business is what many people don't have. 
and he was very successful with this, that he just did the right things and generated his own work and had so much going on. When people leave her and they're spending the last 20 minutes tidying their desk up, it's just not the right approach. And these other people I'm telling you never did that, right? They were, they were star billers and they, they did the right things. Well, again, the, the, the world and business almost um, rewards you for being kind of a warrior and doing everything opposite. You know, people a, a lot of times ask me, like, how I, how I was successful in this business and my other businesses. And you already know the, the answer, Jeff. The answer is I always do opposite of what everybody else is doing, yep. right? Always. People are running away from real estate. I'm buying real estate. People are, you know, I'm building real estate. People are selling stock. I'm buying them. People are laying people off. We're hiring great people, you know, with that comes a price, right? With that comes a price. We're a little stubborn. We're, we care a lot about our people. So sometimes we hold on to them, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's challenging We because they're more than employees to us. Some of these people are yep. team members and borderline families. So it's been, it's been challenging, but this is how we do, this is what keeps us happy. You know, we were, we were talking to one of our advisors and um, we were frustrated because he was telling us, if you remember, Jeff, he was telling us how that other company's going so much faster, one of our competitors. And I'm a very competitive guy, right? And I played high school basketball and I was highly competitive. I'm still till this day competitive when I play my wife and I versus my son and some somebody, a nephew or something. Um, so it drove me crazy that this person was growing faster, if you remember. I wanted to throw the, my, my chair through the glass because I'm like, what is this guy doing? And you were scratching your head and... Uh, I don't want to name him, but he said, hey, don't worry about it, man. That person's, you know, at times miserable, right? Don't don't envy it. You guys are always happy. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're walking around frustrated and pissed. He goes, no, you're not, man. You're always laughing. You're always goofing yes. off. You're always always kind to each other. You know, that's more important. I was like, you know what? He's right. Sure, winning is extremely important, but man, like, I don't want to be miserable. Stress isn't worth it. He just had a major physical issue, this other gentleman. So it's not worth it. It's not. it's not worth it. I knew a lot of people, my father-in-law's friends were all multimillionaires. They died young because of so much stress. Yeah. Wow. You know, meanwhile, he'll be 87 in, in a few weeks. Good Lord. And still works a little bit. Yeah. He just traveled to Europe for uh, three weeks. So, but his friends God bless like, him. were 70. God bless him. That was one of my favorite stories. I'm going to tell it on this show, Jeff. Go ahead. It's too good. So, uh, speaking of God bless him, uh, we're interviewing a gentleman, very young guy, uh, he's probably 21, 22 years old, straight out of college, and he's interviewing with us. And this is like, God, it's got to be like eight years ago. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Jeff is interviewing. He goes, "Hey, where do you get your work ethics?" He goes, "Oh, my grandfather. He was in the military." And Jeff says, "Is he still alive?" And he, the guy goes, "Yeah." And Jeff goes, "God bless him." As if the guy was 90 years old. Jeff had an image of his grandfather, right? Yeah, I did. I did. So, so you guys moved on from the conversation. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. So I was like, I had a feeling, you know, you know me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to bust Jeff's chops on this one. I said, I said, Daniel, let me, I'm like, let me ask you a question. I was like, how old is your grandfather? And he thinks and thinks and thinks. And he says, 56. And you said, what? And you were pissed because I think you were 56 at the time. And it was it was yeah, yeah. hilarious to you because you were thinking this guy's 90 years old and he was a young young guy, you know? Yeah. Well, when I heard the term grandfather, in fact, I was at the, uh, at the park near my house pushing Brian on a swing when he was about, I don't know, six years old. And it was 20 years ago. And a woman comes up and he wasn't behaving. And she looked at Brian and she said, hey, you need to listen to your grandfather. 
and I, I was his dad and I was <laughs> like, Oh boy. And this was just, this was 20 years ago. Vita. So I, I was like, you know, 40, 44. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I wouldn't even think you're 65 right now. I know. She's just listening to your grandfather and I'm like, <clears throat> I'm his dad. So oh. Oh. that was a good story though. Well, we, we all had a good laugh. We still remember it after all these years. Absolutely. What's like, what's a lesson you've learned through, you said four recessions. Honestly, I feel like I've been through three, three to four, right? Probably, probably five. Five, six recessions. What's like, Forgetting about recessions, like all these years, like what's what's a takeaway that you can give to business owners out there that are that are struggling, that are cranky in a way, and they feel like they're about to give up, right? Because it just it's nothing, it's not working. What would you say to them? Well, I'll give you an interesting analogy. It's like somebody that's lost in the woods, and because yeah. I read a, a there's a, b- a couple of books I read about people that. Uh, I forget the name of the book. They were going through harrowing experiences and someone was lost in the woods and they just gave up and, and they, they, they died. They just, they, they didn't have it in them anymore. And, you know, maybe they, if they'd walked a hundred yards more, they could come out of the woods into a shopping center with a McDonald's, right? <laughs> but they don't, they couldn't see it. So in, in the biggest lesson I think is that it always will turn back. Whether it's good, it'll turn bad. If it's bad, it'll turn good at some point. You just have to know that because if you don't believe that, you're going to get caught in the quagmire and the muck of it being bad and it will never change, right? But it will always flip. And it's done that in 40 years. It's oh, Recessions will flip into great times. And then when it's booming, you always have to have an eye, well, this is a gold rush is going to change at some point. You know, when it becomes too easy. So I would say that's the biggest lesson I've learned is you have to know and believe 100% that it will change. You just don't know when. I'm hopeful this one does next year. But you just don't know when. And you don't know how long the good times are going to go. So work your ass off in the in the great times. And tape, taper your excitement by living beneath your means, right? In yeah. this business, Jeff and I have been highly successful and have some incredible years. We could have taken it to a level as if that's as you would say, I've arrived, right? And uh, taken our lifestyle to a level that we couldn't sustain. And I feel like when you step up too quickly, what it does, it, it, creates a, it creates a new lifestyle that I have to constantly maintain. And to do that is unnecessary pressure, not just on you, but the business and the, and the family. Then it just it boils in, you know, I, and so it's extremely important to, to to know that you don't. I mean, look, I, you know me. I don't. I live a good life. I don't believe in saving every penny for what to die, you know, to 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 for my kids not to work. I'm not interested in that. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a little bit behind, but I want them to work and do what I did. Uh, so I do enjoy what like you love traveling. I love cars and a nice home and a nice vacation here or two. But like, I feel like we've always kept it reasonable so that we don't put that pressure on ourselves or then our employees and our families. So that's always a good, good advice. Well, exactly. Well, one of the things in 2000, I, I, I did that. We had a great year. I built a mansion, not a mansion, a large house in Manhattan beach. The next year, my income dropped 80%. So it was really Ooh. a lot of pressure. Yeah. Man, actually more than that. I think it dropped, I think it dropped 90%. Yeah. I remember the numbers. It was, it was ugly. Interestingly enough, one of the guys in our building who unfortunately passed away, when he was, I met him in his 80s, and I said, what, what lessons have you learned in life? Give me the biggest lesson you've learned. His name was Burl. He said, 
whatever you do, don't step up your expenses and, and, and your lifestyle if you've had a good year. He goes, you have to live even. Well, I like that. Live even, very evenly. Because he said, he goes, I've seen people, they've started to make a lot of money, they stepped up their lifestyles, and they lost everything because they were over leveraged. He just said, and he was a great guy, he said, you know, you just have to know that good times will sometimes end and bad times will always end, and you just have to stay, stay level. And if you do that and don't go crazy, you know, oh, I had a great year, I'm going to build a mansion. Well, that's great. The next year, you know, the rug gets pulled out and then you have to struggle. And I, that's, that's what he told me. So good. No, that's, that's a really good lesson, man. Live even. Live even. I like that. I like that because it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean to hoard and don't spend because that's not good, right? It, you end up looking back and say, what, what did I enjoy? I don't, I don't like that either. I like to enjoy, enjoy it. And, and, you know, money's got to flow and it's got to change hands and it's, 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 it's got to be enjoyed. No, I like that. Jeff, what's, um, what's your favorite book? Actually, I think I'm in it right now. Well, it's an audio book, but Multipliers, that first chapter for me was such an epiphany that I'm really enthralled by it. Another book I really like was Going From Good to Great. I like it. Very good. That's a classic. That was, that was an outstanding book. Um, but this one right now, even though it's early, just the first chapter just captivated me. So I, so far, so good. It's been great. Good. Jeff, uh, two, two more questions. One sure. thing that, that, that uh, I'll give you the easy one. Well, actually, that's the hard one. One thing that uh, you, uh, you love about me and one thing that drives you freaking crazy. Oof. Live on the air, guys. We don't. We we none of this was prepared. Well, I okay. Um, I love that you take risks and you're not scared. When you wanted to be CEO of Higher Cloud, and I said go for it, you were all about creating and building and taking risks and 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 not being fearful of that, which which was great. That's what I love about you. Uh, I'm not going to use the word hate because that's too strong. Uh, what I despise, no, I'm kidding. What, <laughs> what, what drives what, me crazy. What drives me crazy is when, is when sometimes, a lot of times you might be focused, unfocused or multitasking and, and, and sometimes trying to focus on nine things at once. And I don't know what and, you're and, saying. What are you talking about? Sometimes those things get shortchanged. So that's, yeah. And the I'm only doing thing it right is your, now, legs, your legs not on the desk. But, uh, then it, and it drives you crazy sometimes too, but you know it. You know it. Yes. But, uh, no, no, for sure. There's, there's, there's worse bad habits than that. Yep. Yep. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. Jeff, this has been great, man. You know, uh, many people, you know, don't know all the stuff that you do here because you're a little bit more behind the scenes. You're here coaching, you're doing the legal stuff, accounting, finance, all yep. the yep. stuff that doesn't get much glory, but uh, it's much appreciated. And it's really cool to put you put you out here and uh, let people see the, the kind of what, what, how we've stuck it out in our partnership and kind of kept grinding when things get tough. Uh, 16 years uh, in 10 days, 16 right? years, man. Yeah, October yeah, yeah. Two companies. 16 years, countless people we've hired, um, yep. a lot of careers we've changed, uh, hundreds of companies we've scaled, thousands of candidates we've we've placed. So it's been it's been a fun journey. Let's uh, 10 exit. Yeah, we've done good work out there. We've uh, impacted a lot of people in a great way. Uh, certainly their careers, you know, where people can look up and say like, well, I wouldn't be here if, if it weren't for them. You know, what you yep. did with your friend at that company, he walked out with a few million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, what, uh, where, where, people, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Um, they can find me um, with LinkedIn. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is jeff at com. There it is. Uh, that's probably the best way. And uh, 
Certainly, certainly LinkedIn, I, I respond. We can get connected. I can have a, a chat or even have a, a phone call if it's something they'd be interested in. Connect with this guy. He's one of the best people you ever meet. Jeffy, uh, thank you so much for being here, man. It's been an absolute pre- pleasure and we should do this more often. I loved it. Have a good one. See you around the neighborhood. And that brings us to the end of another great episode of the Tech Leaders Playbook. I want to thank you for joining us and hope you took away some valuable insights to apply in your professional journey. Don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss out on the next great conversation. I promise it'll be good. If you enjoyed today's episode, we appreciate if you could leave us a review. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but also help others discover the podcast. Better leaders mean better working environments. Better working environments leads to happier people. Remember, a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm Avita Santablian, and this has been the Tech Leaders Playbook. Keep leading, keep learning, keep giving, and I'll see you on the next one. Until then, stay inspired, my friends.